Ecclesiastes. You turn there, chapter 2, it's page 554 in the Red Bible if you need that. Ecclesiastes 2, we're going to read verses 18 to the end of the chapter. Two paragraphs, really. Ecclesiastes 2, beginning in verse 18. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I've toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind." How many of you, if you remember Glenn Lawrence and Glenn and Terry were here for many, many years, and it was pretty standard if you went up to Glenn and he hadn't seen you in a while, or even if he had, truthfully, he'd always start off conversations with you with this phrase, what's your story? He'd always start that way. And then he'd expect you to fill in the blanks about what your story was all about. Um, That's really what Ecclesiastes, what is your story? Um, Solomon has been given supernatural wisdom by God. And it's kind of like the old way, you know, the good cop, bad cop. And back and forth through a lot of the chapters in Ecclesiastes, he's go, he goes back and forth telling you that here's what I've tried, you know, and he says this is good, but this is bad. And goes back and forth. And, and between really two sets of wisdom, two approaches to life, two stories that you're living in. So tonight the question is, how is your story going? Um, maybe as you look back on your story, you might have chapter titles that were something like My Cancer or My Failed Marriage or My Disastrous Decision or My Addiction or My Career or My Family. And, And you look at some of those things and you wish at times you could rip some of the pages out of those chapters, or sometimes a whole chapter would be nice to remove it. And you ask questions about your story. How is your story going to end? Can I change my story? Does my story have a sequel? <laughs> Do I get another chance? Um, Ecclesiastes tells us about how to live in God's story versus, or in contrast to, how not to live in the world's story so what about your story tonight? Um, it's said that everyone's story, everyone's life is a story. So what kind of story at this point in your life would yours be? Would it be a comedy? Would it be more like a tragedy? 
Would it be an action adventure? Um, what would you think about yours? What would it be like? Or what is it like? Is your story going backwards? Um, is it mostly going forwards? Um, do you think your story's going around in circles? Um, wh- where is your story tonight? What's happening in your story? I think every person who comes into this world needs to have their story changed. Everyone. Um, they need to have their story changed by God. Um, so the first thing we need to do tonight is think about this. I, I need to accept that my story needs changed. It does. And that's because we're sinners. Um, we have ruined the original version of what God wanted us to be. Um, and so we need to have our story changed. So we accept that and then we admit it. We admit that that's not just true of a lot of people. That's true of me. And, and I would tell you, even as a Christian, after coming to know the Lord, um, I, I need my story changed more every day. Every single day. I still find myself looking in, or living at times in the wrong story and the way that I think or the way that I act, the way that I respond or what I do. And so every day, whether I use these exact words or not, I think it's good for us if we would say, I need to ask God to change my story. But not just change my story to make it better, but to change my story with his story. To really know how to live in his story and what that actually would look like. So let me just have you, and and we'll do this tonight if you can talk out loud. I have a microphone if it's better. But how would you say God has changed your story with his story up until now? What would you say would be one way? There's probably myriads of ways, HH2. Um, And I'll come around a little bit. But how would you say, how has God's story changed your story up until now? What would be one way? What has happened? Ooh. Anybody? Tim. Tim. I think growing up, being taught the Bible, and then realizing more and more it's not just a good idea, it's the law. And seeking first the kingdom of God starts, of course, with prayer, but praying over the word for God to give wisdom from the word for every single thing in life. And that was different from when you... Just growing up, you know, you just learn these things as you work out. Amen. So before you weren't asking God to be in your story at all, and now you want to pray and ask him to be in all. That's good because we're going to say something about that a little bit. What else? How has God's story changed your story? What's one way that's happened in your life so far? Anyone else? Anyone else? How has he changed your story? It's a before and after kind of a testimony maybe, right? How has he changed your story? Anybody? Am I moving on? Okay. My story did not include having kids at all. I didn't want kids. So she's evidence of God changing my story. And this one (laughs) certainly did not expect to ever adopt a special needs child. And God had other plans. Amen. Amen. Changes your story, doesn't he? Good. 
Solomon, as I said before, um, when he lived for God, things were great. He lived in God's story. But when he didn't, it went from bad to worse. Um, if you want to take a few notes, this is a summary using some vocabulary words to give you an idea of what it looks like when you're living in God's story and when you're not. There's a phrase that's used 30 times in Ecclesiastes, and that's life under the sun is the phrase, under the sun. Another little phrase that's similar to it, under heaven. And that were, when he lived under the sun, which was quite a number of years, that was when he was living godlessly. In fact, if you want to, in a 21st century way of saying under the sun might be apart from God. Um, what does it look like when you live under the sun or apart from God? Well, life lived for the present. Life lived for the present. Life lived for the world in which we live. Um, a life that never looks above the here and now, never looks beyond the world's horizon. It's a life that has lost sight of the eternal. Now think about that a little bit because you're going to find out that you might do this more often than you think. It, it, let me say it again. It, it doesn't look beyond the world's horizon. Life has lost sight of the eternal. There's so much going on under the sun that you don't ever take the time to look at above the sun in your life. And that's where Solomon was. Um, the framework of this text is, it leads up, can I just, t I'm going to point them out to you. Um, there's these phrases that he's talking to himself about things that he's investigated. And I'm going to mention two, because a lot of them have to say what he was thinking in his heart. Look at the Bible, verse one, chapter 1, verse 13. He says, I applied my heart, verse one, chapter 1, verse 16. I said in my heart, chapter 2, in verses 1 through 11, says this phrase, I said in my heart, 2.12, I turned to consider, and then 2.20, I turned about and gave my heart. In other words, here's what was going on. In his heart, in his life, he was living almost like an experiment with the world. Um, he was living purely on a horizontal level, a secular perspective that didn't have God a part of it at all. And the word he has to describe that kind of life is vanity. And the word vanity means emptiness. Now, we have all this technology today and all these things that we have that Solomon didn't have, but he had, if we could say it, I don't know exactly all that it was, but he had everything that you could possibly have in his day. Even the gold and silver were so populous in his day that they said that silver was like stones on the road. I mean, he was... He would make Bill Gates look like a pauper. He had so much stuff and so much money. It's incredible. Even the Queen of Sheba, who comes and had quite a bit of stuff herself, said that half of it hasn't been told. I mean, Solomon was unbelievably wealthy and rich. He had everything he could possibly wanted. And he says the very first opening line of chapter 1, verse 1, all is vanity, all is vanity. Everything is empty. He, he was empty. And why? Because he didn't have God in it. Now, none of us, none of us in this room tonight would ever say that we would purposely live a life like that. But do we not at times be honest 
Aren't there times when we go days like that? Where we're so involved under the sun that we lose track of the eternal, what's above the sun, and things that are lesser importance, lesser in matter, what they matter in life, lesser issues take priority. And we get so bent out of shape, we get so upset by the things that don't go our way, and we look at everything and we're so stuck on under the sun that we lose perspective on what is above the sun. And, and, and certainly tonight, there are a lot of traits that are characteristic of people who live their lives apart from God. Now listen, that would never mean that you didn't come to church. It would never mean that you actually didn't crack your Bible occasionally. God forbid that if you didn't pray at your meals. It's not that those things never happen, but they're not real. They're things that you do um, and you don't want to be known as, or in your own heart, have to say, I don't really have God in my life at all. No one wants that. But when we push him out to the margins, when we push him out to the periphery of our lives, he's not the sinner. He's not really there anymore. See, that's what Solomon was doing. Um, he was living under the sun, under heaven. He was basically what I call a practical secularist. A secularist, a practical secularist, is someone who may, maybe there's a God, maybe he's out there, but you really can't know him, and he really doesn't make a difference in your life regularly. See, that's what he's saying. Now, now watch the difference. By the end of this chapter, in the verses I read, particularly verses 24 through 26, he comes down and he starts talking about eating and drinking and food and all that kind of stuff. And, and he talks about how the difference that God has made in his life. That when he lives God's story, God's at the center. See, it wasn't the big thing. It was the ordinary, mundane, everyday life things. Because every, listen, everything took on new meaning. Everything. He couldn't see anything the same way in his life. But it wasn't always like that. So I'm going to go through the verses real quick, and there are four things. Um, he tried everything, and I want to tell you how they came out. And I want you to ask your question, this question in your mind and heart about your life. Does your story resemble Solomon's? Ask yourself that question. There's four things that his life was like without God, really without God in it. Number one, verses, chapter two, verse 17, it, it says, so I hated life. He was sad. It's sad, isn't it? He hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it's empty. And literally in the Hebrew, like chasing wind. Chasing, chasing wind, you can't control wind. It's like herding cats, it's not possible, right? But here's what he says, chasing wind. That's what my life was like, and I hated life. So let me ask you, what would make someone, and, and try to be specific, what would make someone hate their life? He hated his life. What would make you hate your life? Okay, maybe being bullied, because you're always being picked on. Someone's always finding something to, you know, get on your case about, make fun of you. Worse, yes, what else? What would make you hate your life? But it wouldn't be bullied one time, right? 
Yes, yeah. That's the whole point, right? It's empty because your life is always like this. It's got this chronic episode taking place. What else? What would make someone hate their life? Sue? Okay, if you're sick all the time, yep, and it never changes, you never get better, maybe only worse, more medications, different treatments, all with the same results. What else would make you hate your life? Yes? Failures at everything. Okay, if you're a failure, you weren't much, you didn't have success. What else? Yes? Okay, your family life. Maybe you had a great job, but you came home and it was miserable, or vice versa. Right? Now look at Solomon. He tried everything, and I'm just going to run the list down. You can study it further later. He tried education, chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. He had wisdom beyond what you and I would ever comprehend. He tried pleasure, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He tried success. These are all the things we've been saying. Verses 4 through 17. He tried work. Verses 18 through 23 of chapter 2. So he's tried all of these things. He says, maybe what I'm looking for can become with degrees behind my name. Maybe it's from pleasure and immoral pleasure, sexual pleasure, drinking, whatever it might be. Maybe I can find it in success if he could climb the ladder. But he couldn't climb the ladder anymore because there was no one greater and more powerful than him. Then work, all the things... Oh, it's amazing. If you ever read the history of Solomon, all the things that he built. I mean, his temple that he built for God was considered one of the seven wonders of the world in his day. I mean, he had everything, right? But you know what he calls it all? Vanity. At the end of every section in chapter one and chapter two, here's how each paragraph section ends. Emptiness. Education, emptiness, pleasure, emptiness, success, emptiness, work, emptiness. And he hated his life because it was empty. The word empty means short. Vanity means transitory, literally a breeze, like you would blow a breath, a vapor, some have translated it, just a short wind. You know, it's amazing, um, and I know you've all experienced this in different ways. I have a granddaughter now, and I could have told you, I think she was just born a couple days ago, but she's already, what, three months old. What happened? And the next thing you know, you're going to turn around, and she'll be walking, and first word will be Papa, (laughs) right? And then she'll be going like, and then we'll be saying, oh, look at Kylie, it's her first day at kindergarten, at Faith Christian School. And, and then, right? I mean, and you've had kids, right? And they grow up, and you don't know what happened to the time and the years. And my parents died a few years ago and within months of each other. And my mom was 78. My dad was 81. And I think about them when I did their funerals. I think, wow, I just remember that we did this and I was a kid, and I remember my dad coming to the game. And just doesn't it seem like yesterday? And you know what? And then someday you're going to say, oh, remember Pastor Walker? He used to pastor our church, but he's dead. He's gone. See, you know, that, that's, that's what the, life is sad without God, and life is short. It's a breath. You blow it out, and it's gone, and, and, and it's transitory. It's temporary. 
It's empty. And, and, and he says it twice, the first verse of the book. Vanity, all is vanity. And he repeats it. Why? It's superlative emptiness. It's super, you can't say it any stronger. I can't even begin to tell you. In fact, when I was down in Trenton, for those couple years when we first started Mosaic, one of the things I did, other than shower trailer and some other things, was to go down to the Methadon Center in the mornings, early mornings, where people who were taking drugs would come and get another drug that would help them not take the, the, you know, the worst one. And they would take these drugs. And, you know, again, because I wasn't familiar with things at first, I'm thinking, like, because all the people I hang around with are street people. And so I know a lot of them, what they do, drugs and the things that they are after. But you know what I shocked was? You know the people who came up to get the methadone? Half of them were street kind of people, and the other half were executives. Guys would drive up in their, drive up in their Mercedes and their BMWs, and they'd get out, and they'd go in and get their stuff, and then they'd take off and go to New York City and do their job that day. Because if they, were, they would be on cocaine or other things. And I'm thinking, like, you know what? Emptiness is not a respecter of persons, is it? Emptiness doesn't come when you have nothing only. It also can come when you have everything. Solomon had everything. And here's what he says. You know what it is? Short. Short. And then he goes on to say, look at verses 17 through 19 and verse 21. It's senseless. To him, he says, you know, I do all these things. I work. I do all this stuff. And it's meaningless. It's senseless. He goes, I put all this time and energy into it. I do all this work. And then when I'm gone, some guy who didn't do anything is going to take over my stuff. And he's going to have everything I ever built and worked hard for. He didn't have to do a thing for it. He goes, it's a great evil. (laughs) It's senseless. How can it be possible? But that's what he says. Everything he worked for was handed over to somebody else in the end. You know, we, we put so much time and energy, and not be, it's not wrong to work hard. It's certainly not wrong to be a success. It's certainly not wrong to have pleasures in life or get a good education. All those things are fantastic things, but not apart from God. Not when they're your story instead of him. And that was Solomon's problem. And then the last thing, which probably eats us up the most is in verse 23, they were stressful. You know what he says? He goes, even when I try to go to bed at night, I don't get any rest. I can't get to sleep. And then I wake up too early because I'm always afraid. Anxiety, I gotta have this. What if this happens? And you can't turn your mind off. He says, and I'm always trying to protect everything I have and make sure it's all good. And see, I would tell you this, if you wanna hate your life, live by never looking beyond it. If you want to end up hating your life, live your life and never look beyond this world. And you'll end up hating your life. But you can change your story with God's story. That's what happens with Solomon. Interestingly, in verses 24 through 26, the last three verses, he mentions God, circle it, three times. Now, that's important in the first part of Ecclesiastes. You know why? Because up until these three verses in 224 to 26, he'd only mentioned God's name one time in chapter 1, verse 13. Other than that, he had left God out because that's what he's telling you. See, he's playing the bad cop. This is my life. And I basically left God out of it for all of this time. 
And I tried all these things and none of them worked because they didn't satisfy. And then he said, I came back and said, listen, it's God. God is the one and his story is the one I need to live in. So when God rewrites your story, it doesn't have to be sad, it can be happy. It doesn't have to be short, it can be endless forever. It doesn't have to be meaningless, it can be meaningful it doesn't have to be stressful. It can be peaceful. And by the way, that is his name. In Hebrew, Shaloma. Shaloma. You can hear the word shalom in it for peace. That was his name. Man of peace. That's what Solomon's name means. Here's a guy who's supposed to be the epitome of peace. And all he has is emptiness, vanity, and stress. Why? Because it doesn't matter what your name is you're living apart from God. Three times, circle them, he says God, but you also know what he says in that text three times? Look at the verse, each one of them, verse 24, 25, and 26, have the word joy in it. Rejoice, enjoy, all the joy. See, let me tell you this, what he came to find out, which seems so obvious, but people without God never get it. And so Hollywood people kill themselves over it and divorce over it and commit crimes over it and they have everything, but they do something. You go, how in the world? What, why would someone who has all that, why would you do that? Because they can't find any joy in it. Because they haven't come to the conclusion that Solomon finally came to is that God is really the only source, lasting source of joy. Psalm 1611 says, and your presence is, listen, fullness of joy, fullness, not half, not empty joy, not false joy, full joy. You want real, full joy. It only comes in God's presence. And your presence is fullness of joy. And at your, listen, at your right hand, listen, pleasures forevermore. You want full joy and forever joy? Only when you live in God's story. Every single day. Only can you get it. And you don't have to have the success. You don't have to have the work and, and go up the corporate ladder. You don't have to have everybody like you. You don't have to be popular. You don't have to have a certain car or a certain house. You don't have to, listen, you don't have to live in a certain place because God's rewriting your story and he's given you a joy that you couldn't get anywhere else from a place that you never thought you could. And Solomon says this in 2.24, I saw this also was from the hand of God. You see what he says? Now he's changed because now he's living in God's story. He says, you know what? Now I begin to see everything in my life is from the hand of God. Everything. And so he tracks I wrote down, he tracks everything back to God's hand. Enjoying his eating and his drinking and his life, even if it's not as successful. See, he says, everything that I really enjoy from life comes from God. I remember when Chris and I, we were just talking at lunch today. Lance Jr. and I were talking and, and uh, I said, you know, when we first started out, Chris never, didn't finish her college degree. 
and I was working on my seminary degree, and I got hired as a youth pastor right near my seminary, and we didn't make much money at all. And I remember that. I remember, and then we had our first child, and I remember as they were growing older, that we didn't have much money, and so we went, we would like McDonald's. And we would go to McDonald's, and we thought, wow, we are living high. <laughs> the golden arches, you know. Now, now watch, though. It changed my story. My dad made a lot of money. Now, we didn't go to McDonald's. Well, I did. They, they didn't go to McDonald's, right? We went to nice restaurants. We went on nice vacations. Um, I always got the best shoes when I, for sports or whatever I needed but that wasn't for me anymore. I didn't have any of those things, and I was never happier. You know why? Because I switched stories. I switched stories. And I found the joy was being with the people you loved. It didn't exactly matter where or what you had. And some of the greatest times in your life will come when you live in God's story and come to this realization, everything changes in its meaning when God's at the center of it. So we can give up things. We can let go of things. Why? Because they're not the center of our joy. He is. He is. Watch. It didn't just change the way he saw everything, although it did. You know what else it changed? It changed because he said this, because I know it comes from God's hand. Do you see what he's saying? It's a gift. See, I don't have to earn it. It's a gift. The greatest things in life are not bought by me. They're given to me by God. But yet, if I live only under the sun, and that's all I know is what's under the sun. See, I'm thinking I got to scrap for it. I got to work harder to get it. I got to have this and I got to say, and we think that if I just get this and if we just get that and we just have this and if we could just. But here's what Solomon came to. I saw it all comes from his hand. And so I'm happy with the ordinary mundane things in life because God's story changes my story. So who's the author of your life. Who holds the pen to your tomorrow? Who's writing? Are you, is it a biography or an autobiography? Are you writing it, autobiography, or is God writing it? Is he writing the stories? If so, how would the chapter titles change? How would the content change? Because God's story can change your story. Truthfully, that is the gospel. Zacchaeus' story changed, completely changed, and he saw people and money differently. The demonized man of Gadara, his story changed from being controlled by demons to being sitting at the feet of Jesus. It, It all changed, completely changed. And there was no greater joy for Zacchaeus than to know Jesus. And his whole story changed. Listen, that's not just something that happens the moment you get saved. It's what you do every single day. When you get up tomorrow, get on your knees and say, God, I choose to live in your story.
Not the one that they tell me at my job is the story. Not the one that the world will tell me that I hear on the news. Not the one that everybody else is trying to get to. Your story. Because it's so different. And say, God, change my story with your story and do it for your glory. Let's pray. Father, there couldn't be much more of a relevant book to the 21st century life in America than Ecclesiastes. It speaks right to where we are for so many of us. And every day we're confronted with alternative stories, stories that are substitutes for the real one, false narratives. Father, I pray that God's people at Faith Baptist Church by your grace, would wake up every day and say, today I choose to live in your story. That's going to change my values. That's going to change my priorities. That's going to dictate my calendar. That's going to be affecting the way I raise my children and love my wife or my husband and how I use my money and what gets my time and how much I serve and how committed and faithful I am. It'll change everything I pray, God, that you'd help have your story change ours, not only individually here tonight or as families, but as a church. It is my aim and ambition, and you know that, Master, is to help our church live out and in your story by what we do and how we serve and how we treat each other and what we do in this community. Father, we just want to live in and out your story. Help us to do that the more that Jesus Christ and him alone might be exalted. For it's in his matchless name I pray. Amen.